Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Good friend of the program, Danny LaRue, is in the building. I'm going to start with like five minutes on the NBA Finals. I'll explain why I'm not like diving deep into the finals here on this show, just because honestly, there are better podcasts for you to do that with right now, just because of where my time commitments are. <laughs> uh, but today, for the most part, we're going to talk about NBA offseason previews. We're going to do uh, a few very important questions. That's kind of the idea here, kind of how I'm looking at things for each of the Northwest Division teams and the Southwest Division teams. Why those two divisions? Because I felt like Danny would be good to talk about Western Conference teams and Golden State is still alive in the Pacific Division. So I wanted to go with those two divisions so danny what's going on man how are things things are good it's it's exciting to be able to cover the nba finals in person again that is genuinely not something i expected to be able to do this soon after kevin durant left like i mean i thought the warriors were going to be in the mix but i didn't think they were going to be this and we'll see where the series goes we're recording this of course between games one and two so there's a lot that we will learn on on my sunday probably your monday but we're not there yet (laughs) We are not there yet. That is true. Uh, Look, at the end of the day, the reason that I'm not talking a ton about the finals is that I'm in the middle of this crazy draft guide thing that I have to write every year, right? Oh, come on. It's not that much work, Sam. It's not not egregious. (laughs) So much of my time right now is devoted to that. And like Your your draft guide, which I believe is as many words as my book was, maybe (laughs) more. Might be more. Might be more. (laughs) <laughs> it's lit- last year was literally 125,000 words. Yeah. So I believe um, that's more than my book was. Yeah. So like, look, as much as I want to talk about the finals, I'm watching every finals game and I'm talking about them. Like I do the tab NBA tip off show with Chris Anstey and Ben Yom Kadane. Like I'm diving deep into it, like the day of those recordings, but just to be real with it, like, I think you can get better finals content from places like Dunked On with Danny or places like the Dunker Spot with Nikai's Duncan and Steve Jones, right? Like, uh, I'm not going to pretend to sit here and make this a uh, thing that is, uh, you know, something you desperately need to listen to. I think it's better for me to counter-program whenever so much of my attention is devoted to the NBA offseason at the moment and the NBA draft. Having said that, I will just ask you generally, what did you think of game one? Because you were there. 
It was interesting. So through three quarters, the Warriors were up by 12. And my first thought, I picked the Warriors to win the series, was Golden State's going to win the game, but Boston's going to win the series. Because I thought that they had these defensive mm. they had these defensive issues in the first quarter, a lot of which was just like adjusting to the way the Golden State Warriors play and leaving Stephen Curry wide open, whether that's through a drop coverage or through just losing him. But Boston's too talented to think that to think that was going to keep going. And offensively, they were actually a little better in those first three quarters than I anticipated. And then the fourth quarter was the fourth quarter. And not only was that in indication of how this series can go when things are going well for Boston, far from a guarantee that they always will, but also they won game one. And now the Warriors have to win four out of six, which is a challenge. And they you know, lost home court, if you want to think about it that way. So I, I don't think it is done. I don't think it is fait accompli. I think it's going to be a long series. But Boston has a lot of defensive talent. And like one of my favorite wrinkles of the game, Ime Udoka only went to it a little bit, was there was a stretch where Marcus Smart was guarding Draymond. And then mm-hmm. they had Derek White on Stephen Curry. And so first of all, it's like, how awesome is Marcus Smart that he can be you know on Draymond and do well, do a good job there. But then also you have him in all of those actions. So you could just bring Marcus Smart in. But then also the luxury of having Derek White, another player who can credibly defend Stephen Curry, because that's what you, you kind of need that. I've used the term before of reciprocal versatility, where you need somebody to guard the other assignment because otherwise you need Marcus Smart on Steph all the time. And so they didn't go to it all the time. They did a lot with two bigs and then mostly with one big in the second half. But those sorts of things are what make Boston different than some of the other teams the Warriors have faced. Yeah, I think that you're – I don't even know how I feel about the series yet because I was stunned by that fourth quarter in a way that it sounds like you weren't necessarily Well, I I was stunned by the severity. I mean, that the the Warriors are going to struggle. They didn't in the second quarter, but they're going to struggle in the non-Steph minutes. That has been a problem for Golden State low these many years. But – they what was most interesting was I think it was like a 14 or 17 0 run after Curry came back on the floor. And for me, it's right. actually more about the zero than the 17 because yeah. the the Warriors not getting anything going, even when they have their best player who had an, an impressive overall game, you know, like that, that says something. And they missed a couple of good shots, but mostly they weren't getting clean looks. Yeah, I thought Boston's defense like totally ratcheted up mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter in a way that was really interesting. Like, Peyton Pritchard was awesome in that fourth quarter defensively, job. I thought. Well, like, he and did it was, really, it was really the best job. playmaking I've seen from Jalen Brown that first six minutes of the fourth yep. quarter. Maybe the best playmaking stretch from him I've ever seen. My my, my question now is going to be how – like everyone has talked about how Boston adjusted defensively in order to stop Golden State from getting clean looks and frankly like also just having Stephen Curry off the court. My question is how Golden State responds mm-hmm. defensively. Because I don't really know if they will continue to just leave shooters open. Like that that seemed like a significant strategy for them in game one. I heard Draymond Green kind of allude to it on his podcast where they were talking about, or he was talking about, you know, they decided to leave Derek White relatively open from three and Derek White made them pay from three. Uh, There were a lot of open threes that Golden State allowed in that game to shooters that, you know, if you're making decisions about who you have to take away and you have to do that against Boston because Boston's a good enough offensive team to where they can just take advantage of a lot of different things and they can specifically generate mismatches against this Golden State core. 
I will be interested to see how Golden State adjusts. Do they decide to go with more of a numbers play where they're leaving a Derek White open? They're leaving, um, you know, some guys open from three, you know, just to let them go uh, because they feel like it's the lesser of two evils. Or do they just try and play more straight up and say, fuck this, like we think we can just beat these guys one-on-one and just try to win that way? I I don't know. It's weird. If Jalen Brown is playing like he is in game one throughout the rest of the series. I think it's way harder to make that adjustment. If he's not, I don't know. Things get a little bit more interesting to me. They do. And I'm writing for the athletic live blog for the games that I'm covering. And I wrote after the second quarter, I believe it was, I I praised the Celtics for doing a better job, not like not overhelping, you know, so I I call it threat assessment and understanding what the bigger risk is and leaving a good shooter open from three. Like that's generally less advantageous for the defense than trying to contest as best you can, understanding that you'll win some and you lose some. And it was funny because I Boston deserved that praise in the second quarter after Curry went off for the NBA finals record, six threes in the first, not all because of that. That was a lot of different things. And then golden state had basically the same problem that Boston had in the first and the fourth. That was a part of how it happened was Jalen Brown gets into the lane and they go, Oh crap, we need to do something else. And Peyton Pritchard or Al Horford or Derek white, they're taking open shots and there isn't a perfect answer to it, but I think the right answer is, contesting Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, making their shots as tough as you can and not giving up easy shots to guys who can make easy shots as opposed to hard ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, I was, I was surprised by how many open threes both teams generated in right. that game. And I do think the part of it is a conscious decision on both teams in terms of who they should leave open and who they shouldn't. But I was surprised by the level of defense up until the fourth quarter that was played. I understand that it's the first game. It's a feeling out process. It just felt like it was kind of messy to me Uh, for two teams that have been, you know, when Draymond Green is in the lineup, Golden State has been an incredible defense this season. When Boston, you know, when the calendar turned to 2022, they became the best defense in the NBA Uh, for that. For the, that game to have that many open shots, I understand that it's very, very difficult to guard both these teams in space. Uh, these are two teams that are built to shut down open teams mm-hmm. in space in well, some regard. But, but at the same point, so. these are teams that faced very different opponents in the pre- previous round. And so I yeah, think they're, the adjustment period there of going, like, think about it from the Celtics perspective, going from Jimmy Butler in the heat to the Warriors, they, they're they compete in such different ways. They challenge you in such different ways. And you can do, they had more time to scout, more time to physically recover than before, but kind of needed to see it to fully understand that. And that's why game ones can be hard to predict. And they can also be less representative of the overall series than the rest of it. And that would be some solace for warriors partisans because, you know, like there have been various series. I mean, could go back to the existential crisis I had, after game one of Bucks Celtics is somebody who picked the Celtics and I can't remember if it was five or six. And you're like, Oh God, the, they're going to get worse in this series on They, I mean, they ended up going seven, but they did win it. Yeah. Okay. Danny, let's dive deep. Let's <laughs> talk NBA off seasons here. Do you want to start with the Northwest division or the Southwest division? When we talk about three specific questions or a couple of specific questions for each team. 
let's start with the Southwest. The Southwest. There are some interesting teams there. So the Southwest, let, let's start with Dallas because A, first team in terms of alphabetical order. Second team or second weird situation for them going into this offseason because this has potential to get to be a very, 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 very expensive team very quickly when I don't know how close they are to winning a title despite the fact that they just made the Western Conference Finals. This, it feels so weird. Like every year we see one of these teams that make the conference finals. This year it was Atlanta, right? That decides essentially we need to run it back. We have all of this great um, success now. We're on the upward trajectory. Let's go. And Atlanta kind of fell on its face this year. I don't think Dallas is going to fall on its face because Luka Doncic is so talented and they have such a strong defensive infrastructure at this point. But they have difficult decisions to make this offseason that are going to complicate matters, I think. For Dallas, I mean, I think the most difficult situation for them is actually not a decision. I mean, it's partially a decision on their front, but I think it's actually more a decision on Jalen Brunson's because Dallas, to walk people through, I'm not going to go into a ton of depth, but through their situation is that, yes, if they retain Jalen Brunson, and that's presumably not going to be on a one-year deal, they're going to go into the tax for the 22-23 season. And then they will, depending on how much Brunson gets paid, they will presumably be some, they'll be, they'll be less expensive, but still expensive after that because Dwight Powell comes off the books. At some point they'll have to figure, well, like a year later, they'll have to figure out what's going on with Bullock and Dinwiddie. And then Mavic Bertans has a partial guarantee, pretty light one that they can, that can help clear that up. But so for, for Dallas, they should be very thankful that Mark Cuban is their owner because if he's willing to just pay the tax, which some teams have not, then that will make a lot of this more bearable. But there's a reason why Jalen Brunson might be the last highly regarded second round pick to get a four year deal, because instead of being restricted and having match rights to wield to not only give you the ability to retain Jalen Brunson, but also to tamp down the market because teams aren't going to be super interested. He's unrestricted. And that means, you know, like go, I, I, I used to use other players, but now I'm going to use Jeremy Grant as the example here where when a player hits unrestricted free agency, they can prioritize whatever they want. It is their prerogative, and I have full power to them. And so my instinct is that Jalen Brunson will and probably should, quote-unquote, not that my opinion matters, stay in Dallas if the money is close. But if he wants something else, he can do that. So I'm I'm a little bit skeptical that Jalen Brunson is going to be there next year. And the only reason that I'm skeptical of that is because I understand why you make the Christoph Porzingis deal at the deadline. I felt like they just needed a change, right? Like it felt like the Dallas Mavericks felt like they wanted to move out of that era. But I would think that a big part of that calculus was bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie in order to account for a potential Jalen Brunson departure, right? Like that gives you some level of insurance for if Jalen Brunson leaves in the offseason, you are set reasonably well, not incredibly well, because Spencer Dinwiddie at the time had been having a very poor season by his standards. But you feel like you have a road and a pathway toward having a replacement if Brunson leaves. Now, I would obviously prefer, if I was Dallas, to retain Jalen Brunson. 
I'm just, a, I'm a little bit skeptical. Like I, I feel like there are teams that are going to offer him real starting point guard money with a real like role in that regard. Like Detroit can offer him a real legitimate starting opportunity next to someone like Cade Cunningham with more money. Like they're going to be able to pay more than Dallas does. I think at the end of the day, Dallas needs to be somewhat careful here in terms of what they offer. Unless Cuban just decides, fuck it. We're giving Jalen Brunson $25 million. <laughs> like I- I'm skeptical that Mark Cuban is going to be like, let's pay Jalen Brunson 20, 25, $27 million a year. Cause the thing that's going against Dallas here is that, Jalen Brunson has a real case as being the best guard that can be attained this offseason, uh, where there are real pathways toward getting him. And that's that's a tricky situation, I think, for Dallas. It is because it means there are going to be a lot of suitors and they'll be offering different things, whether that's playing time or even the role within it. And so, and maybe it's location, maybe he's interested in that. And so you, you do run those risks. But what I always think about, this goes back to KD in these circumstances is which, like, what are the arguments if, if they prioritize different things that could win the day? And so what part of what helps Dallas here is that they're the best team with Jalen Brunson of any of the teams that could go there. So if that's something that matters to him, then you can do that. And the other thing that they can offer theoretically is a fifth year. Maybe that's at a lower annual value. And there's a practical consideration, and it's good to have this in the first team because this will come up on the pods that I do on this, whether it's with you or not, is that the more common trend right now is to get your money and then if you're not happy, find your your new home after that. And so I think it's possible that Brunson is intrigued by the Pistons, is intrigued by the Knicks who just hired his dad as an assistant coach. But and who have that, been recruiting him like sure, very publicly, it feels very like. Public, I mean, yeah. like people but, were but, talking about like the Knicks brass sitting courtside for the Utah Dallas series, uh, talking about it in regard to Donovan Mitchell. I feel like it was just as much for Jalen Brunson at the end of the been. day, if not more. So. Been. And, and so, but let's say he's not thrilled by those, and Dallas is going to be relevant next year whether they're a top tier championship contender or not we'll have to see and so as brunson if you're if you like but don't love those as destinations you could sign with dallas stick with them and then a year or two from now you can go and say and say hey i'd like to be somewhere else they already have spencer dinwiddie and i you know that doesn't mean you're going to get exactly what you want but if you if you think of those as like tier two or tier three options then maybe you get your money and it could be a similar story. Not that we're going to do that team, but with Zach Levine, potentially like where the bulls might be the best option that he has right now, but they might not be the best option he has forever. Yeah. And the, the money part is interesting for Brunson because how does he maximize his future earnings is a real question here. Right. I almost would prefer, I think a four year deal if I was him as opposed to a five year deal on lower money, because I would think just with the way his, I mean, he turns 26, I believe in August. And I think he's going to be a little bit more. Uh, it's going to be easier for him to get another contract after this coming off of it at 29 years old or 30 years old. If he can negotiate a four year deal with a player option on the fourth year, then on a five-year contract with Dallas, right? Like that, or maybe maybe they can negotiate an ETO there after three years or something like that. Like th- there are different options. It's just 
uh, I don't know, man. It feels it feels weird. Like there's just been so much smoke regarding Jalen Brunson, right? In large part because of the Knicks. Like the Knicks are hiring his father. They're sitting courtside at games. Like this is weird to me, but like the Knicks aren't necessarily the best fit for him. I think Dallas is the best fit for him. And so much of it is not actually perpetrated for a word, I guess. I don't even know if perpetrated, but so much of the smoke is not actually being done by Jalen Brunson. It's being done by people who are trying to get Jalen Brunson out of Dallas but it just feels like there's a lot there to me. Like it's, it's a bizarre situation that I can't wrap my head around. It is bizarre and it's hard to predict. And from, from Dallas's perspective, you, they have the problem that if he leaves, whether that's through a sign and trade and to get a trade exception or not, Dallas won't yeah. have cap space to replace him. Like they, they're, they're yeah. preliminarily over the tax line, even without Jalen Brunson, they could probably get under it if they really needed to. Like if that's, if that's where you do, where you're going, but replacing him is difficult and yeah, it's, it's a thorny spot. And that's why for Dallas, you might honestly be more comfortable over if, if money is a determining factor, overpaying him a little bit because you yeah. don't want to lose the asset. That's sort of a concept. And you could argue, yeah. and I would, that that is a, a, a win-win circumstance because Jalen Brunson would get more money than he might otherwise. And Dallas, you know, you get a good player for now and maybe it's not forever, but maybe it is forever. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Uh, other notes here, Maxi Kleba and uh, Dwight Powell, I believe are extension eligible here. Uh, yeah. Kleba is... has a non-guarantee, but he is, he'll, they'll pick that up and then he is extension eligible. Yeah. I would probably look to extend Maxi. I thought he was, Terrific. They have already extended Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, he is on a deal that makes a lot of sense. This team is going to get Tim Hardaway Jr. back next year, who's someone they did not have in the playoffs. It's going to – I feel like this team, if they lose Jalen Brunson, just looks very, very different. And then Dallas is going to have to figure out how to operate on the margins beyond that. Uh, how do they replace Jalen Brunson? How do they you know, build without him in the core? It, it's a tricky – it's a tri- tricky subject, I feel well, like. Especially because the Mavericks are asset poor at the moment. Like they already owe some picks yeah. and they don't have this arsenal of young players that aren't playing for them. You know, like the, the, yeah. like the, those assets. And that, that means that your downside risk is pretty significant in that circumstance, but they do have Luca. So hope is that he will continue to grow. Yeah, this is the biggest example of why getting big decisions right gives you such an enormous marginal advantage. Uh, having Luka Doncic on your team for the next five years makes your life incredibly easy. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it incredibly easier, maybe is the better way to put it. Okay, let's move next. The Houston Rockets, they have the number three overall pick in the draft. They have a few interesting roster decisions here. Uh, I've Three questions regarding Houston. Dallas was just one question because the Jalen Brunson thing is just so all-encompassing in terms of they, they could branch off so many different directions if they don't sign Jalen Brunson that it's hard to even really speculate. Uh, the Houston thing seems a little bit more simple. They have a number three overall pick. You've done some preliminary stuff into these top guys, right, Danny? I have. Who are you feeling like would work best for Houston who do you think they end up with at number three I so 
first of all, as a team like Houston, where they have pieces that they like, but especially because these are front court guys, they don't they don't have a ton that's like figured out out out. Like I like Shingun, but I wouldn't say you choose your pick based on that. I go my yeah. philosophy in this is go best best available irrespective of positional needs and anything like that. The Rockets still have a lot to figure out. And I haven't, you know, I, I haven't fully put my board together, but Jabari Smith would be, would be number one for me. I don't think he's going to make it there, but wonderful. If you yeah. could get him, that'd be, that'd be awesome. And then for them, I, I and for everybody else, preliminarily, as I'm po- positing everything, I actually have Boncaro over Chet Holmgren. Um, we can get yeah. into that if you want, but they're close. Like they're same tier. Like they're, it's, it's really a, it's, it's kind of a, a preference in a complicated way that we'll probably talk about either here or, or maybe at some point on real GM radio, but being able to get one of those three guys should make Houston feel pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I, I will also note that John Gavoni said that there are sources that say, you know, Houston has an interest in creating the most athletic backcourt in the NBA and, Jaden Ivey and Jalen Green. I don't really like the Jaden Ivey fit with Houston. I I think that is a lot of ball stopping, uh, a lot of uh, missed passing reads at the end of the day. Like that, that would just concern me uh, at a very significant level. Uh, I love Jaden Ivey in a vacuum. I have him ahead of Paulo Bancaro. I would probably take Paulo for Houston particularly though because I think that Paulo's passing ability is just absolutely phenomenal and I think they could really use that next to someone like Jalen Green uh but I'll talk about that at a later date I'm certain in terms of what I think the fit is there okay uh the second question here for Houston is what do you do with John Wall like is this the point where we finally buy out John Wall and uh end this long wild journey of him being on the Houston Rockets. Yes, it is. And for Houston, the benefit of it being in the last year is it gets a lot more straightforward in terms of how do you balance the money? And it would be great for them kind of organizationally if John Wall leaves some money on the table, because then that could give him some wiggle room to make an imbalanced trade or something like that. But Houston, they're not in a huge, they're not, they're not in a real sticky financial situation when it comes to the tax. I'm sure Tillman Fertitta will want to save as much money as he can. But while he is going to have plenty of incentive, particularly in the offseason, to get his way to somewhere he actually wants to be. And I don't know that there will be a starting spot necessarily, but there will be some opportunities for John Wall. And so you make that, you know, conscious uncoupling and you you have him be somewhere else. And Houston probably has a slight benefit financially from that. And you move forward. Yeah. And look, we've seen Kemba Walker get the mid-level exception. I would imagine that John Wall would probably be in line for something along the lines of the mid-level exception. Because I don't think any of the like cap space teams are really going to be you know, all in on John Wall at this point in his career. But I do think that there are some potential contenders that have a mid-level exception style deal available that would probably be willing to sign John Wall. So then you look at how much would Houston get back? Maybe 10 million, right? Something like that. Something something in that range. Maybe, maybe 12, maybe 15, just, you know, so that John can grease the wheels a little bit to get out of that situation. We'll see. I don't know. John Wall's made a lot of money. I don't know where his priorities lie necessarily. They certainly seem like he wants to get back on the court, but 
I mean, we'll see where Houston's priorities lie in terms of how much of a stickler they want to be for getting money back. The final question here for me is, what do you do with Christian Wood and Eric Gordon? Because, look, I I haven't hidden it in the past on this show. I'm not an enormous fan of Christian Wood as a basketball player. I'm sure he's a great guy. I just don't love the game, although his, you know, he sometimes gets a little bit pouty, which is part of the reason that I don't love his game in general. And he'll give very poor defensive efforts when he's not engaged. Uh, I, I worry about what he looks like defensively in the playoffs. I worry about, you know, his reliability defensively and creating a real scheme that works for a team. Uh, I do think there are teams that would be interested to take a flyer on him though. At the end of the day, I think, you sell both to the highest bidder unless the bids just aren't strong enough. And I I would draw that line. You know, it's hard to be hard and fast, but like with Eric Gordon, he had a really nice year overall, but he's getting older and, you know, making about $20 million that non-guaranteed second year now. So he's fully guaranteed for the coming year. And then the year after is not that, that is potentially intriguing. Like there are teams that, could be like, oh, we we get some control over this situation, and yeah. so I, and also the other important factor here, and this is a component of the wood negotiations too, is that Houston, by virtue of being, let's say, as a preliminary number, about eighteen million below the tax, even counting their draft picks, is that they could do an imbalance trade where they take back some bad money, and that could be bad money just for now, or they could be bad money moving forward and why you do that as Houston is to get a better asset whether that's a stronger yep. draft pick or a young player that you're interested in and they're they don't have the flexibility to the opportunity cost for them other than ownership's wallets is actually pretty minimal and so I would be looking that way and the other reason why you do it is because how much do those players affect your present and your future Christian Wood the concept of him I've been a believer at different times but we're we're reaching the point where the concept doesn't matter as much because he's a limited defender and it doesn't look like that's going to change and then for yeah. Gordon he helps you but what does that help actually mean and I don't think Houston's going to be ready to put the pedal to the metal this coming season I think it might be a year away and so just see what you can do for those guys I think there will be plenty of interest because they can help out teams that are looking and Christian Wood I, I think we're probably one more failure away from teams not thinking they can be the one that they could be the special team that fixes him. So <laughs> you want it, you want to be the la- like kind of hearkening back to Russell Westbrook, the former rocket. You want to be the last team that makes that, that you want to be the second to last team that thinks they can fix him. Not the last team, because if you're the last team, yeah. you might end up holding the bag. Yeah. And with Eric Gordon as well, I feel like that, they're in a position where that's the case. Eric had a really great year this year. Uh, Eric also has a long history of injuries, unfortunately, sure. which is part of the reason that, you know, the market was likely a bit muted on him this offseason. I, I felt like they should have, or this trade deadline, I felt like they should have moved him at the trade deadline just to confirm that they could get some sort of value for him. I think they ran a real risk by not doing that. The risk could pay off this offseason. We'll see. Uh, what do you think these guys are worth? Do you think that Houston will get back a first round pick for either player? I think Woods value is probably a little bit below a first, but you could get there easily taking back some negative money. And I'd say Gordon, yeah, late first is probably about right for him. I mean, guys that can shoot and capably defend and are at least wingy 
are so valuable in the league right now, yep. and you can see them all throughout the league. And, so, and and not only are they valuable, there aren't that many that are available. And so that is, you know, the the $20 million price tag will make somebody queasy, but the lack of having another option will make them queasier. So I, I think yeah. I think they could get a first there. Yeah, no, I'm, I think I'm with you on Eric Gordon being able to get a first. Let's go to Memphis. Mm, my sleeping giant. I love this team. I love I love where Memphis is right now. The, the first question here is a very simple one, and I think we just have to start it. You extend John Morant very quickly this offseason, correct? As quickly as you can. Uh, now, the only exception to that is I am extremely uncomfortable giving fifth-year player options. Danny Ainge and... I guess at that point, it's funny because it was the Celtic, it was the Celtics and the Jazz, and now Danny Ainge is running the Jazz. But so giving Mitchell and Tatum player options in that fifth year might burn the might burn the Grizzlies with jaw because it's like, do can you can you unring that bell? And yeah. because the reason there is that you lose so much control as the Grizzlies, you prevent them from getting the free agency a year earlier, and it being a player option means that you assume they're going to make the right decision. So if heaven forbid, there's a reason why that picking up that option is better for John Morant than becoming a free agent, then he would just do that. So I, I think I would hold the line there. I would be willing to do that, but anything short of that, you just do it. I would look, John Morant has been nothing but complimentary about Memphis to the point where I, I would bet he just signs the five-year extension. Like, I think that he just goes straight with it. The other concern here worth noting for Memphis, and this isn't something that they can know ahead of time, they're obviously going to give him the Supermax language in the contract. If he makes All-NBA next season or wins MVP or whatever, he will have a contract that is five years, 222 million or so. If he does not make all NBA next season, it will be five years, 186 million. That is an enormous difference that will obviously play a critical role in how Memphis builds its roster moving forward. Speaking of building its roster, sleeping giant for sure. They have potential for cap space, depending on what they do with two of their key free agents in Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones. Now, how Memphis handles this is going to be really interesting because like you, I think where you want to go with this, I assume, is that you think Memphis can make a consolidation trade that brings them a star, right? I think they should try it bare minimum. Unfortunately, I don't know which player is available, but Memphis also has assets. Like they have extra first round picks. They have Unlike when we were talking about the Mavs earlier, they have young players that are interesting to other teams like Brandon Clark and potentially DeAnthony Melton. So you could, I I probably, I'm not going to say Desmond Bain is untouchable, but it would be very hard for him to be included in any sort of deal. So I, I think the best of the best, like my best case scenario for Memphis for a long time had been Jalen Brown. Call it instinct, but I don't think Jalen Brown is going to be eminently available during this offseason. Um, but there are still lots of players that could help them. And then the other reason that Memphis is a sleeping giant is because they could do a lot of different structures here. So that could be yeah. free agent X is very interesting to them. You know, whether that is, you know, TJ Warren, who I think would be a wonderful fit there, or they could go with, you know, they could go at a different spot. But then the other thing that Memphis can do is they could go after somebody that's under contract and they could either match salary with guys that they have, or they could do the hybrid like they did last offseason, actually of cap space and salary. 
So maybe yeah. you include some, but then you also save the other team some money. And I, you know, like, I don't think you empty, you empty the war chest for OG and Anobi, but I think what you do is you're as that climbing, calling everybody and seeing what you can shake loose. And hopefully you can shake somebody who can be the dream is the third or better best player on the Grizzlies moving forward. Early on, I was trying to decide if I thought Rudy Gobert was an interesting one for them. I don't know how I feel about cashing in your assets for a center in general. I don't know. I'm especially especially that, a center who's on the older side. like Especially a center that doesn't really fit their age timeline. Right. I also wonder, I really wonder if a critical consideration for them would be, hey, instead of trying to consolidate for a star, let's try to consolidate to move up in the draft. Sure. And and I mean, they did. Another... That, was a, that was a big part of the trade they did last year. Like they moved from right. Valanchunas to Adams. And a big part of that was betting on their board. And also the Grizzlies, I, I mentioned this earlier, they have not, they lost one of the picks that they were hoping to get, but the Grizzlies still have, you know, they have a couple picks this year. And then yeah. they also have bonus. I call them bonus first. So first from other teams, they have the Warriors pick in 24, which could be, I mean, I don't think that's going to be super juicy, but it could be potentially right. interesting. So some combination of that. And is there a player that in the, like, I don't think you can necessarily get in the top five, but is there a player in the six to 20 range that you're like, oh, right. this, this is the, this is the person. Cause you know, Memphis has made some bets on their board before and that could work yep. out well. Yeah. I mean, they moved up to get Zyra Williams. They moved up to get Desmond Bain, uh, did they move up for anyone else? I'm trying to remember. I think for Clark, they that that was that involved in the Matisse Thibel did. or was that yeah, it was it was something like that. No, the, the Thibel one I believe was Grant Williams, but I do think they moved up a couple spots to get Brandon Clark as well. I think you're mm-hmm. right there. So yeah, I mean, this is a team that has been willing to be aggressive moving up the board. I wonder if they could look at something like, you know, if I've always found the way that they've used Brandon Clark to be very interesting. Uh, I, I don't know that they have quite used him in the way that I thought that, like, I thought Brandon Clark was going to be very, very good. And I still think Brandon Clark's going to be very, very good. I wonder how comfortable they are paying him. And if they kind of make a decision this off season, you know, maybe we are willing to pay him. Maybe we're not willing to pay him. I wonder if they could look at like moving Brandon Clark in 22 up for number. I don't know. What pick do you think Brandon Clark in 22 could get? Maybe like 13, depending on how much teams like, I mean, the generally top 10 picks are hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that Brandon Clark gets you from 22 to the top 10, but if a guy that is in the top 10 on their board, exactly in the top seven on their board, which in the past has proven to be very good. They have done an incredible job evaluating uh, falls to number 12, number 13. Could you do something like that? I don't know. I, I really like Brandon Clark. I wouldn't trade him, but I'm just kind of throwing that out there. The two free agency decisions though, Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson. Tyus feels like a more important piece for them. Weirdly to me because of John Morant's health issues uh, right. previously. I do uh, don't know if I would want to retain him. They have up until June 30th to give him like a three-year, $40 million extension, $42 million extension, something like that, if they would want to. Um, or is or it, they, they can, can offer they can, ju- they can just there. use bird rights. I mean, yeah. the, the good news for the Grizzlies is they have 
full bird rights. And so what they can do, and also like a lot of what I'm talking about in terms of them, their potential big swings are trades, which means you can know ahead of time. So the for Tyus, what you can say is I I don't think they want to break the bank for their backup point guard, even though he plays a lot, both with John Morant and replacing John Morant. But you can tell him it might take us a day or two to figure this out, though. Generally speaking, the NBA, it doesn't take a day or two to figure these things out. And but if we if we are able to retain you, we will we we can do better than the non-taxpayer mid-level, which is the best he reasonably can be, unless like Detroit comes calling. Like I don't think anybody's giving Tyus Jones more than that. So for him, waiting a day or two, you're probably still gonna have the same offers on the table if it's not Memphis, and so you can give them the latitude. I've been trying to figure out if there's a guy for Memphis that's like a little bit under the radar. I wonder if you could do something for Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon is an option. I, I've my thought has been like, would they do like a second draft thing like DeAndre Hunter and yeah. say, yeah, we 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 believe that we can we can assess like they've done such a good job in the draft. Maybe it's somebody who they liked in a prior year, but they didn't have the capacity to have them. And so you go, let's get let's get that guy. The other one that I've been talking about a little bit is. Miles Bridges, Miles Bridges, who went to Michigan yeah. State with somebody named Jaron Jackson Jr., who is a wonderful fit with their group and is being is, is a, a pending free agent for Charlotte, a team that has been loath to spend a lot of money. So can yeah. you go to the go to the Hornets and say, we're going to pay him a bunch of money. We don't think you're going to match, but we'll give you a little bit of a sweetener just to expedite this process. And so you give them somebody who would help just to facilitate, but not like a premium, premium thing. They would have to sign and trade in Bridges, which would mean Charlotte well, would have to go along with it in some regard. Yeah. They they can't get to 28 million or whatever it's yeah. going to cost to get Bridges. They, they, they could if they had place. to. Like they could, they could move players that are under contract if they, yeah, that's true, you I know, guess. but it, but then you you have to have the intel. Then why it'd be a sign and trade also is just because it's so much more lo- logical logistically because you yeah. you don't you're not going to clear the space to make Miles Bridges a twenty eight million dollar offer if you don't know if the Hornets are going to match or not because that's it's yeah. too risky. Teams just don't do that. Okay, let's go to New Orleans. Mm. <laughs> the number one question, and really like it's not the only question, but it's definitely like the only real question that matters it's do you give zion williamson the max extension i would i I, as much as i it freaks me out because of him missing the whole year and setbacks and everything like that zion williamson is truly special and i think the the passage of time has maybe made some people forget how good the second half of his second year was and you don't get that opportunity very often. The other, so the the nuance that I would put in there, and I honestly think Zion might play with this if this is the way you do it. So back when Joel Embiid signed his rookie scale extension after he had plenty of injuries in his near rearview mirror, is they put per, the Sixers had protections negotiate. They negotiated protections in that deal that were really they 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 codified early. And they only really mattered if they cut Embiid. So it was more like a mitigation of a worst case scenario rather than like a non-guarantee on the last year where you get a lot more information. It was more like if two years ahead of time, we think we're going to cut you, then we won't have to pay you the full thing. And I think that is a reasonable framework. 
if if Zion said no, I'm I'm not willing to accept that. I'm going to Chandler Parsons this situation. I and for those who don't know, I will swear once Max are nothing motherfuckers. Like if that's what he says, I would give it to him, but I don't think the Pels would. So I just do want to remind people: Zion Williamson, as a 20 year old in the NBA, averaged 27 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and shot 61 percent from the field. Zion Williamson is a fucking superstar, and, and who was maybe the best post score in the uh, the best paint score in the league in a year when Giannis was a monster. Yes, Zion Williamson is incredible. He is absolutely unbelievable you absolutely give him the max i think and you pray and you hope it goes well you put in some mitigation language you give him the max you have to do it it's impossible to find guys like this like and and, you hope and and if you're him you have to agree to it i think given where your situation has been recently and this ties in with what we talked about before which is that if it ends up being a circumstance where you don't want to be there it's actually easier to make your way out once you've secured the money than beforehand and so especially, mm-hmm. especially on a rookie scale extension, because it comes a year early. So yeah. for, for Zion to force his way out another way would take so much longer. And who knows if he even wants that? I mean, it has been the scuttlebutt for a long time, but scuttlebutt is that. So I, I'm not, I wouldn't be super freaked out. What else you want to talk about in the Pels? The Pelicans have a lot of weird extension candidates. They have mm-hmm. CJ McCollum. They have Jackson Hayes. They have Larry Nance. Uh, do you extend any of these guys? I feel like if you could extend McCollum for an extra year or two, you probably try and do that, right? I wouldn't do it at close to his current contract value. I like CJ a lot, but that's just a lot of money. And we don't, I, I would say waiting a year with him because CJ's contract doesn't expire until 24. So you get you have some yeah. time there. We will get a lot more detail, possibly. I mean, teams probably will than you and I will on what the next television deal is going to look like. And then yeah. at that point, you get and between that and Zion, you will know a lot more about where your books are. And I don't think McCollum, he just got there. I don't think that he's going to be agitating for a full full boat extension right now. And if he is, then yeah. you can just tell him, unfortunately, we need more information. And I think that's fine. And then, no, but, I wouldn't give I wouldn't do it. Like with Jackson Hayes, I know that he Willie Green gave him some starts, but you don't know what his fit is with the best iteration of this team. And right. so unless he's going to take deep below market, like I'm talking like $5 million a year, you don't do it. And those kind of extensions almost never happen. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I agree with you. They, they need to find out what these guys all look like with Zion. CJ is theoretically an incredible fit with Zion, uh, given just the pick and roll ability, the three level scoring game, uh, really two level, I guess, from mid range and from three. <laughs> but that could fit really, really well with Zion just driving to the rim constantly and opening up space in the mid range for him. I would probably wait though. Uh, the final question here is just what, how much is this ownership going to be willing to pay? Cause this team is very close to being a tax team already. Do they try and move some guys on, you know, eight figure deals already? Like maybe Devonte Graham, do they try and move maybe a Larry Nance just to kind of get, away from the tax a little bit this off season and create some roster spots. Cause this, this has potential to be a very stagnant roster uh, going into next year. And they might be okay with that getting Zion back and being willing to just play with it. But I do think how much ownership is willing to pay for a roster like this is an interesting question. It is. I, I would be willing to, 
go, you know, close to the tax, but ownership can make their own decision. And the good news for the Pelicans is they can hold the line for this coming season and then make those decisions for the following year. It will look daunting at first, but they'll be able to clarify whether, you know, at that point, Graham will only have one fully guaranteed season. Then he has a very light partial guarantee for the following year. So that becomes movable. You'll know what you have in Jackson Hayes and Larry Nance. So when you're a veteran and you're extension eligible, you can extend all the way until the very end, right before you become a free agent. So with Nance, I wouldn't do one right now. There's a chance I would do one in April, May or June, depending on where things go. Yeah. If I was the Pelicans, I think I probably would just try and run this back. I would try and get someone like Dyson Daniels in the draft at number eight. I would be very happy with guys like Trey Murphy and CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram who can space the floor around Zion. And I would see how all of these pieces fit with Zion and and just kind of run it back and extend this thing out for another year. I know that's not like a sexy outcome for people who want like off season movement, but I would just kind of let it roll. Uh, Okay. The San Antonio Spurs, they have picks nine, 20, 25 and 38 in the upcoming draft. They have Lonnie Walker who will be an unre- who will be a restricted free agent. They have real pathways toward max cap space. I don't know what you do beyond that. Cause I think that this, if I was them, I'd be looking to consolidate and try and get like a real star player in there. I don't know how interested they are in that. I don't know how interested star players would be in trying to do that. There's one guy I really potentially like there but i would be interested to hear your thoughts first san antonio has to be a little bit reactive to who shows interest to what the market will bear because my instinct is that there isn't that huge difference maker that is going to say i want to sign on the dotted line right now it'd be great yeah if zach levine says i want to play for you guys that's that's my choice for the for my maximum level salary great Sign them up, do it. It'd be great. But if you can't, then you're sort of in a weirdly similar boat, not in team quality, but in theory with the Memphis Grizzlies, where you can use your financial flexibility in a lot of different ways. The difference is that Memphis has already established the level of play. They were the two seed in the in the West. They were very, very good. And with San Antonio, they're not at that level, but they could do a lot of different things. And as you mentioned, they have these three first run picks. They've got a they've got a lot of flexibility and they have young players of interest. So if you wanted to take a bigger swing, could do it. I don't know that they're going to trade Vassell or Primo or Keldon Johnson, but they could. And, you know, Yaka Pertle is extension eligible. We might talk about him a little bit later. And here's another one. And this is, you know, kind of in line with San Antonio of not knowing what they're going to do. If I were not fully sold on DeJounte Murray, and, you know, he just made the All-Star team, yep. but if I were not, and I am not, like, so if San Antonio, if I if I got hired tomorrow to run the Spurs, which I'm guessing is not going to happen, this is actually the exact moment that I would shop him. And as weird as and deflating as that might be to some Spurs fans, there are two reasons why. One is he had an awesome, awesome year. Maybe he maybe the the growth isn't linear or exponential. It's a little bit more it's a little bit less than that. And Murray, like, I still think that he's, you know, the, the biggest thing that point guard could do is generate good shots for himself and others. And I don't, that's, that's not my favorite part of DeJounte Murray's game. So I would listen. And only if I got bowled over, would I really do something there? And that's why for San Antonio, the world is their oyster, but only the things that want to, that actually want to go there. So there's one move I would really try and make if I was San Antonio. Okay. I would go very hard toward DeAndre Ayton. Sure. 
And they have real mechanisms to create max cap space this summer if they want to. There would be, they would renounce Lonnie Walker. They would, you know, just have to move basically one guy. You could even do it like you could sign and trade Jakob Pertle and something else to Phoenix. Yeah, or you could could even, yeah, you could just trade him. I mean, the Spurs being hard capped wouldn't be a problem. If Phoenix were willing to play ball, you could do that. One thing I will note as, and I've become much more of an Aiton believer. I mean, I had him second on my board, so it's not like I was, I was a hater then. Right. But. I, as much as I appreciate what Aiton does well, the marginal difference between Aiton and Pirtle as players versus the difference in their contracts, I think is going to be, I think the difference between their contracts is going to be larger than the quality difference between them because Aiton, he's not super scheme versatile. He's a better offensive player, obviously. But so there's, you have a little bit of a concern there about, am I paying a premium for a non-premium position for a player who is properly rated when we have a guy who is underrated. But also I brought right. up the like Marshall cost. Does that really matter to San Antonio? Who knows? And they might not even be able to extend Jakob Pertl because of these archaic rules that are in place that if you're not a like max level player, you can only do 120% or the, you know, this other thing of your salary. And that might not be enough for Jakob. Well, Pertl's number is what it's like four years, Fifty-five, four years, something like that. Yeah, something like I that. I think it'll be enough, but I also don't know. Yeah, like if I was them. So, so here's the thing: I worry about how playable Jakob Pertl is in a playoff series because I don't think he can punish teams offensively. Like Jakob Pertl is an incredible defender. I agree with you that the functional difference between DeAndre Ayton and Jakob Pertl, I think DeAndre is like very slightly better defensively because I think that he can switch a little bit better. And I think that makes him a little bit more valuable in the playoffs. But the functional difference between those two defensively is very much smaller than what people would think. The difference is that Jakob can't punish anybody offensively. And frankly, like I think would be a significant liability uh, out that, on a court. That's totally, totally reasonable. And yeah, to me, that is worth the functional difference almost in their salary. Uh, if you think DeAndre can play in the playoffs and has real offensive upside beyond that, I tend to be someone who thinks DeAndre has offensive upside moving forward. Like if you can get DeAndre, who has shown flashes of being able to knock down like a 17-footer, if he can knock down that shot consistently and you still have someone like DeJounte Murray to feed him the ball in pick and rolls, I think there is real value there. I it's almost like you either move DeJounte and you know restart a little bit with some of these younger guys, or you try to pair DeJounte with someone like DeAndre Ayton, I feel like, and then try to build the core like that. Well the idea idea basing that basically being that you need to choose a timeline and then embrace it. And yeah. I, I think basically, that's totally yeah. fair with them. Yeah. No, I'm that's the one guy I would really look at. Uh, I really like the idea of pairing, you know, those guys with Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson. Keldon Johnson's obviously a really important guy to talk about here as well because he is extension eligible. I mean, I have no idea what that deal looks like. What like same four eighty something like that? If I mean, they would do I, I one. mean, I would like to do it a little bit less, but if that's what it takes, then. Because like the thing about 480 is it's hard for me to imagine Keldon Johnson getting more than that in restricted free agency. So you're shifting a lot of risk from player to team. And if I were the team, I wouldn't want to do that unless I was getting a discount. Yeah, yeah. If I, I were think Keldon there's Johnson, a real hell yeah. 
<laughs> so like we would have said that about Miles Bridges last year, right? And Kelton Johnson has a lot of similarities to Miles Bridges in terms of he is a six foot five wing who is very young. Kelton Johnson last year shot 47% from the field, 40% from three, 76% from the line, and averaged 17 points a game. It's I like the question is how functional is he toward winning basketball at a really high level? Because he's not like a high level passer. You know, he is a solid defender. He's not like an incredible defender by any stretch. But there's just a lot there for someone who's so young who has been this productive. Like I, I don't think he'd have any problems getting 480 on the market. It's it's possible. I mean, I haven't done too much modeling of 23 yet, but there will be. Te- yeah. I think there will be teams with money. Okay, uh, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll dive in to this other division here. Okay, the Northwest Division, Danny. Let's start with the team that I think is easiest to talk about, Denver Nuggets. I'm assuming Denver is essentially going to run this back and hope that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are healthy. Is that kind of your anticipation here? It is. The biggest question for Denver is what level of spending are the Cronkies okay with? Because Denver right now, depending on what happens with the player options for the Jay Greens, Jermichael and Jeff Green. They're, you know, they're well into the tax if those guys pick up their options or come back on similar salaries like that. Is that tenable? Is being 10 million over the tax is being 5 million over the tax because what's hard for Denver is their money is tied up in mostly very good players. So anything that saves ownership money makes them materially worse. And so yeah. if like so if the Cronkies aren't willing to pay what this team is going to cost, it's going to make it's going to cause some real problems. Yeah. No, that's definitely right. I like I said, like I I don't think I give so Monty Morris is extension eligible. I don't think I give him the extension. I think I would just play it out. I the big thing for Denver is just it seems like Nikola Jokic wants to be in Denver. You offer him the max extension and you, you offer him whatever he wants. Yeah. If if he like, wants a one year deal, if he wants a five year deal, you can't give him a fifteen year one, but you could pray that you would kind of do it and you wouldn't tell him. But like that's yeah, whatever whatever it takes. He's incredible. The numbers are basically his five year extension is like five years, two hundred and fifty, two hundred and fifty five, something like that, million dollars. He'd be making sixty million dollars in twenty twenty seven, twenty twenty eight. Uh you give him whatever he wants because he is uh, just an absolute unequivocal superstar beyond that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't really want to waste time here and talk a lot about Denver just because it feels like they're probably going to be relatively status quo here. Uh, I, I hope so. That would be, that would be great news for Denver. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Next up is a more interesting one. Because Minnesota has a very strange deal where they weirdly have a roster that could be in flux uh, surrounding, I would say, Anthony Edwards more than Carl Towns because Carl Towns, they actually have something of a decision to make. Carl Towns can sign a four-year extension 
for a relatively large amount of money that I believe is right around $200 million. That sounds right, yeah. Minnesota has to make a call on whether or not they want to offer him that deal. Do you offer Carl Towns four years, $200 million if you're Minnesota? I, I think that's actually an even more material question than it is whether or not they move on from some of their other core pieces like D'Angelo Russell. I, I do make that offer as Minnesota because Carl Anthony Towns has been an excellent player when he has been available and you're you're trying to keep you're trying to build the talent base and trying to keep talent around and if you don't make that offer then you run a real risk that he's going to be out of there within like a year and the odds that you move Carl Anthony Towns in a deal that makes you better honestly in either the near term or the long term is actually pretty low like that's just yeah. not how these deals usually work and so I and Towns, you know, this will be his age 27 season. So you could be getting some downside because that extension won't even kick in the four years until 24 because that's, yep. you know, the, he's already under contract for those two years, just like his buddy Devin Booker. So, yeah, I make the offer and hopefully and you hope that he takes it. And if he doesn't take it, then you, the other reason you offer it is because if he, you offer it and he doesn't take it, then you also get an extremely valuable piece of information. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And if I'm Carl Towns, I take that money and run. Oof, like, and run, yes. <laughs> four years, $210 million. Carl Towns in 2028, I believe, would be 33 years old. And he could be making $60 million as a... Look, Carl Towns will probably age well offensively because of his skill level and because of his shooting. But that could look really bad defensively by the time he's... 31 years old or whatever he would be uh, in 2027, right? Like there's a real chance that that contract ages poorly, but I think you have to offer it if you're Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Okay. D'Angelo Russell is the next big uh, decision here. I have no idea what they should do with D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I do. I I think you probably move him at the end of the day and see what you can get for him. But I mean, this but, is, but what makes it, what makes Russell's situation a little bit different than some of the other ones. So I wrote this whole piece for the athletic about extend or trade guys. And so the idea is that it's a player who is a pending the year later unrestricted frisian. So instead of putting yourself in our colleague, John Hollinger's bird rights trap, where it's just like, oh, crap, we have to do something with this guy. Otherwise, we're going to lose him and it's going to make our team worse is that you basically you make that decision a year early by offer an extension if they don't take it or if you can't come to terms then you just move them and move make another decision. But with Russell it's a little bit different for this specific reason. If they theoretically just let D'Angelo Russell walk in 23, Minnesota could have real cap space. And I'm not saying they're going to get a max caliber guy with that. But that opens up trade possibilities. What that means is you're not going to lose him for nothing. You are going to be able to replace his salary slot with basically the same salary slot. And so what that means is I still would probably trade him because I think the future of this team is the Edwards-Towns combination. I actually think it it's better offensively and defensively. So I would be doing it anyway. But if the deals were really weak, then you bring him back and you see how the year goes because you don't want to make your team worse for no good reason. Yeah, I agree. Like the, the question is, what do you get for D'Angelo Russell? Because <laughs> th- mean, that's the, what I'm struggling with. The, the like, dream would be a top seven guy in your rotation who's under contract, under team control. Let's put it that way for more than just next year. If you could do that, I'd be happy. 
And that's not a high bar, but I'm also, I've been lower on D'Angelo Russell than almost everybody for like seven years now. And I think that's mostly borne out. It's it's not a high bar, but I just don't know who you get it from. Like Washington could be looking for a point guard and could be looking for, you know, just help, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. And good God, D'Angelo Russell, Christos Porzingis, Bradley Bealcourt makes me incredibly sad. But like, I guess theoretically you could do something with Washington where you get maybe one of those like underperforming young guys in like Kyle Kuzma. And like, I, I don't even know. Like, is it, is it Kuzma, Kuzma KCP and like something else? I mean, like, if Minnesota could pull that deal, I would do it as them in, in a heartbeat. And I, I feel like I would never do that if I was Washington personally, right. but like, I just have no idea what Washington's direction is right well, now. It, it, it's the fun of being feeling differently about a player than the person who would trade for him is that there yeah. is basically no construction of a D'Angelo Russell deal that will actually happen that I would agree with as the other team, because I wouldn't be the type of person who would be trading for D'Angelo Russell. It's how it, it's how this works. And the Russell Westbrook to the Lakers trade was a fantastic example of that last year. Again, I'm I'm really trying to like find <laughs> find the team. Well, and, uh, and it's, it's also <laughs> it's also a weird thing because we've talked about this a lot over the years on your podcast and mine. That point guard is a valuable position in that if you're not getting 48 good minutes from it, you run into some real problems. So there is value in having good point guards, but there aren't that many teams that are that you feel like a lack of quality point guard play is really holding them back. That's the thing that is preventing them from reaching their heights. Unless it's like the Blazers where it's like they were hurt. You know, that's a different, a different part of the conversation. So yeah, I don't have a team that's screaming out as a D'Angelo Russell destination for me personally. Cause I do just want to like point out briefly, like I didn't think D'Angelo Russell had a bad year. Like, no, he did the first two thirds of the year. I thought he was really good defensively. Uh, like comparatively to what he's been previously. Uh, do I think that I want to pay a large amount of money for a guy who averaged 18 points and seven assists while shooting 41% from the field and 34% from three and who like may or may not have much juice left in his legs. I, I don't know. I, I know he's only 26, but like those, like he, he's not getting more athletic is what I would say. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't know who the team, like there's no way. I just thought of something real dumb. Oh no. There's no way Minnesota would rather have Russell Westbrook than him. Right. I don't think so. I mean, Westbrook, Westbrook makes every team Westbrooky, And so that is, I don't, Minnesota has a good thing going. I don't think you want to, that that's not the way you don't you're not as Minnesota you're not looking to like throw over the board right now because you're trailing like you're you're gonna you're gonna lose the game you're you're pretty happy with the with what you have if you could do D'Angelo Russell for Russell Westbrook in two first round picks would you do it yes two first round picks are good and Westbrook's expiring yeah I would do that one first round pick if it's the Lakers and it's far enough out yes because and it would I am be. not it, the biggest, I'm not the biggest believer in them organizationally for some reason. Uh, <laughs> D'Angelo Russell makes sense for that Lakers team. 
Well, he does accept that he's again an open source for teams to pick at defensively. Like I think you, when you have LeBron James, you can go a lot more limited offensively in terms of creation. It's part of why Caruso was such a wonderful fit there. Is that yeah. Alex Caruso not great at creating offense, good at basically everything else, and you have LeBron James to do that part of it. All of this potential construction is messy, given that it would be sending D'Angelo Russell back to Los Angeles, which worked so well the first yeah, time. And then, and then you can re-sign Nick Young for the minimum, and we have a really fun team. And that's not even the most fun part of it. The most fun part of it is sending Russell Westbrook to Minnesota, where he'd be paired with Patrick Beverly. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about that part of it. Oh, boy. <laughs> But they could this also, really but they could also theoretically in that circumstance either buy Westbrook out, and so he could play yeah. somewhere that he had cared about, or you know you figure you figure out a component of it. Like Westbrook, as much as much as he's not worth the money he's getting paid, there is still a useful player in there for at least some teams. Right, and D'Angelo Russell is not a negative player. Like no. that's the thing. Like it is not someone where you and I would pay the money and trade assets to where we would trade for him. But D'Angelo Russell is a tangibly better player than Russell Westbrook right now uh, in the NBA. Yeah, so, I would say so. Especially because he's been more willing to, like if Westbrook were more amenable to like shifting his game based on reality, yeah. then it might be different, but that hasn't happened. So can't bet yeah. on it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm fascinated by what Minnesota does uh, because this Carl Towns extension locks in a Towns Edwards core and then they can now, if Carl Towns signs it, and I think he has to sign it, just given the amount of money it is, and it then sets them up to really be able to make some moves, like really Mm -hmm. be able to build around that core long term. Okay, next up. Oklahoma City. Uh, this is just very simple. Uh, they have the number two overall pick. They're going to try and pick the best player to uh, pair with Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Josh Giddy. Two other questions. First, do you give Lou Dort an extension? His number, I think, is what, like four years, 50 mil- 55 million? If he's willing to take it, yes. Okay. Uh, I think I agree for what it's worth. I think that's a good number for him. I like uh, I would, a lot. That's that. I, there are numbers that would cause me problems, but they're not the allowable extensions because those rules are still broken. Yeah, I agree. He's just a monster defender in a way that's going to translate to the playoffs and has translated to the playoffs in some level uh, already uh, when he was a rookie for this Oklahoma City team. Number two, they have the ability here before free agency starts and after free agency starts, frankly, to take on a large amount of money in a trade, much like they did last year with the Al Horford, Kemba Walker deal. Do they look to do that in order to gain additional assets? They do mostly because if they don't, Sam Presti's trade deadline will make zero sense. And this, so actually just as a point of clarification, they pretty much have to do something before the league year turns over if they're going to, because as I have it preliminarily, Oklahoma City is over the over the cap for next year. And part of that's because they have all these first round picks. There are other things they could do. So what the way that that works is not every player is trade eligible right now. If you're a pending free agent or a number of other things, then you're not. But there are a lot of different things that Oklahoma City could do in the near term to make a deal happen. And so whether that's taking on a play for a future draft pick or a present draft pick or an upgrade or something like that, they can do it. And But also, while I said OKC, I have them projected as over the cap for next year, they're not even close to the tax. So they could do any number of things 
And depending on how far ownership is willing to spend, they'd be totally fine. So if you're Oklahoma City, the name that like just makes sense and like screams out to me is Tobias Harris, right? Like taking on that money, helping Philadelphia in getting all sorts of draft capital back from Philadelphia, right? They don't have the most left, but if you can get some of it, then that would be potentially useful. And also when you think about OKC's flexibility in terms of it being it has to can't be a pending free agent. It doesn't have to be a twenty million dollar move. It could be a three million or a five million dollar move for a team that just understands where things are going and just wants to get rid of somebody. The the challenge there is that OKC actually this is incredible. They have a roster spot crunch because they have a Love they it. have a bunch of guys on they all all these guys on rookie scale contracts already. Then they got Robinson Earl and Andrew Wiggins in the draft last year. Both those guys are fully guaranteed for the coming year. So they actually like just taking on a bunch of dudes, unless you're cutting them right away, which they could do it. it They actually don't have the capacity. So like you might see OKC with this cap space, do something that involves like future picks because they're, they don't have enough present. They have too many present picks. Yeah, agree. And the other name that like jumped off the page to me was, this could be an interesting landing spot for Duncan Robinson, sure. right? Like Miami, the problem with Miami is, again, a lot of these teams that need the space also don't have a crazy amount of draft capital left. Uh, Miami, I believe, does have a couple of future picks, right? I mean, here's the well, question. I, I, like, can, much... I, can give you, I can give you another one if you want. Smaller name. Yeah, 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 do it. Rashawn Holmes. So Sacramento, yeah. they, they're probably going to be fine relative to the tax, but Rashawn Holmes is exactly the right level of player who can help Oklahoma City but not fundamentally change their future. So it's like, he makes you better. He gives you pieces to evaluate. And if you, let's say they end up with Chet, then you can play Chet at either spot. It's going to work out. And there isn't a center for me personally on OKC's team right now that I love as their like, like tentpole kind of guy. And so- Oh, I no, absolutely see- not. Yeah. I could see yeah. I could see something like that with Holmgren if he ends up being the pick is like bridging the gap. Holmes isn't making so much money that it's in. And there are a bunch of Rashawn Holmes level players all around the league on teams that could use a little bit more flexibility or don't need that player in particular. Like Phoenix is, I mean, even though James Jones is the guy who paid him, could potentially be looking for a home for Ladry Shamit. They could be looking for a home for yeah. Dario Saric, both. Like those sorts of things, like that, that wouldn't be the worst thing for OKC to have Landry Shambit in their mix. And Sharch actually would help them a lot too. So, like, there are, and that's just a couple of teams that you could go through, like, a number of them that would love to have 10 million fewer on their books for next year. Do you have a favorite one of those? It'll depend a little bit on how desperate they are to give up the player, but probably Tobias Harris, because the other thing that Daryl Morey would love about a Tobias Harris trade is that it creates a trade exception. And that you can do a lot of different, like a trade exception, it might not be the full value because he might need to send a little back or something like that. You can, as as the Sixers, you could do a lot with that. You basically, it becomes in a way like another mid-level exception, and so it's not just we get off his money. It's we get off his money. But if we want to spend 10, 15 million of that, cool. We could do that too. The the other name that just immediately comes up is Russell Westbrook because they could send back, I think, Derek Favors and get that money pretty close, right? 
I don't think the Lakers eat. So there are two things there. One, I don't think the Lakers have the assets to kind of make that reasonable for, even though he's only a one-year contract. The other part of it yeah. is, and this goes back to the, um, we brought up D'Angelo Russell and kind of like the Warriors did this thing when they, when they lost Kevin Durant, that they brought back D'Angelo Russell, probably in part because they thought he could play for them, but also in part because they didn't want to lose the salary slot. And so for the Lakers, right. if they trade Russell Westbrook for Derek Favors, yeah. they yeah. don't have another way to add that level of player. I guess you would generate a trade exception, but like that's really hard because they're hard. Like it, it would it would be possible, but it would be difficult. And so, I would rather you know trade Russell Westbrook for somebody as weird as this sounds, making more money just because it makes the roster make more sense. I really like the Rashawn Holmes idea. I'm skeptical that Sacramento would give him a, would just like give him away. Um, I mean, they did they did just draft. I mean, they did just trade for Demontis Sabonis and. There were complicated circumstances off the court, but it seemed like the intention was to start Sabonis and not start Holmes. You, if you're not going to start Rashawn Holmes, you shouldn't be paying him that kind of money. No, I agree. Like I, I actually really like that fit for Oklahoma City because it is a great fit with Chet, particularly. Mm-hmm. Like that is a thing that makes a lot of sense in my mind. Um, you know, Rashawn Holmes rim running toward the basket constantly, Chet popping. Rashawn Holmes not a great rim protector. Chet Holmgren phenomenal rim protector. Like that 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 is a first developmental landing spot for Chet makes a lot of sense to me. Um, also would work with Jabari Smith for a number of the same reasons. Uh, Jabari sure. rotating over from the weak side, like you can you can make that work to a very high level. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. I, w- I wonder if Denver also stands out as like an interesting one. Um, just being able to dump like, you know, a, a smaller deal, essentially. Like, I wonder if they would consider, but like, they still need Will Barton, I guess. They still and they still need, need Monte Aaron Morris, Gordon. too. They still need Monte Morris, so maybe not. I'm just trying to think of teams that like, oh, maybe they don't want to pay this crazy amount of money. Like, Steve Ballmer seems willing to pay whatever the fuck it takes for that team. But like the Clippers have weird dollar figures on their sat on their books. Um, here's one question: If they moved Eric Bledsoe into this, would Portland generate a nineteen million dollar trade exception? They would not, because um, the way it works is you you only get it for the guaranteed portion. Um, That's basically what counts. So that would they would only they would only generate the smaller one. Unless they fully guaranteed Eric Bledsoe. Oh, you mean if it happened this league year? Yes. Oh, I actually don't know the answer to that question. I would if I would need to do some digging. But my, I, that my, actually, my inclination is yes, but I don't know for sure. That's an interesting one to me because if you could generate a $19 million trade exception as Portland, that could really help you find another guy. Uh and it then extends out the Eric Bledsoe window a little bit where you don't have to make the decision now. You can make it yeah. a little bit later on. Well, I'll note that they do also still have a $20 million trade exception from the CJ deal. So they it, might not, it sure. might not be as pressing, but it's a, it's an interesting idea for sure. But they might want a couple of them, to be honest, because yeah. like if they're going to try and compete with Dame now, they need they need dudes at the end they, of the day. They like, absolutely do. Really going to need dudes. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma City conversation was more interesting, but we are moving now to Portland. That was a good transition into that. Uh, I'm just so skeptical on what Portland is doing right now. Uh, other, than, other than hiring Schmitz? 
Yeah, everything other than hiring Mike, which I thought was brilliant, and I think that Mike is just the best, and I'm so happy that he got this job. Um, you know, people I think know how I feel about Mike. I think he's just the, he's the he's such a great person, and he is incredibly good at this. He is so so good at this. I think he's going to absolutely be phenomenal in Portland's front office. Um, other than that, I'm just not sure where they're going. <laughs> like, what what is? What is the plan here? Because they move. I'll just I'll just ask you the question. What is the plan here, Danny? Can you explain it to me? I think the plan is to build build a reasonably credible team for the present, sell the team, and then let the new owner figure out how to deal with the fallout. I like that. I like that take actually. Um my my immediate question here is just how does this team compete? How does this team compete basically? So like, let's say they retain, cause it seems like they're going to try and retain all of their talent. Like they're going to keep Anthony Simons and we'll talk about that in a second. They're going to try and keep Yusuf Nurkic, which, you know, unrestricted free agent. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then they're going to guarantee Josh Hart. You have Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Josh Hart, big glaring gap at the four. And then, Yusuf Nurkic, uh, and then a whole bunch of guys that, you know, resemble an expansion team, basically. Uh, why do they think that can compete in the West? I don't know that they're, that Joe Cronin is confident that it will, but I mean, Damian Lillard is a very good player when he's available. And, and the idea that he's maybe been hurt for longer than just this year could, yeah. could potentially indicate that. But the other part of it is, the opportunity cost of going that route, it does. there are really only two of them. So one of them is it weakens your draft pick for the next couple of years. but then And then the other one is if it costs assets to get that other player, like if you have to give up seven to get a player who's going to help you right now, like obviously the number seven pick probably going to help you in the future. But overall, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not that steep a sacrifice unless unless you were really willing to bottom all the way out and i'm assuming the blazers weren't going to do that especially if they were going to keep lower so the difference between the 10th pick and the 15th or the 20th pick is not as stark as the difference between the 20th pick and the fourth pick and that's more that's more the realm and you're trying to sell and you're trying to do all that kind of stuff so I would be more loath to use the seven to upgrade than I think they're going to be, but I understand that their pressures are different. What would you do? What What is the number for Anthony Simons who averaged 20 points a game and shot 40% from three on a billion attempts for from three per game uh, late in the season? I was very surprised. So like I, I did some did some video work on him about midway through the season, which incidentally right before the wheels kind of fell off for the Blazers. And I was very impressed. Like the, he has become a much better pick and roll operator than I expected. Like yeah. it's not the extreme of when I watched Shea Gildas Alexander a couple of years ago and went, oh man, like this guy's the star in waiting. But it, it was still very good. And Simons is intriguing because he can work on ball and he can work off ball. He can't defend, but that's okay. And so my number... It's probably in the low to mid twenties, maybe like 23, 24 million a year. And if somebody maxes him, you probably match it anyway, just because that's so close and you don't want to lose him for nothing. So like my number and, and the other good news for the Blazers is that 
I don't know who that team is. Like maybe it's Troy Weaver and the Pistons that go after him. I don't think it's the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, for a bunch of different reasons, like a a Simon's John Morant backcourt would be a little bit flammable. Um, but so I, I think that yeah, it, Simon's might be one of those cases where there is actually some leverage from the Blazers just because he has so few suitors. Um, not because he's a bad player, but just because restricted free agency is all about falling in love, and there aren't that yeah. many potential. There aren't that many people that are eligible. I'm glad that you brought up the Pistons. Because I think this would be my target if I was the Pistons. Uh, he is a perfect fit with Cade Cunningham. Uh, Cade really needs someone that can generate pull-up jumpers at a high level next to him and be an athlete and like pressure the basket, depending on what they do at five, right? Like maybe Jaden Ivey falls to number five, and I would just take Jaden Ivey and then be happy, right? But this is really the guy that I would take a look. Like I would rather have Anthony Simons if I was them than Jalen Brunson, because I think that Simons being 22 years old fits their age timeline a little bit better than 26 year old Jalen Brunson does. Uh, I think that his scoring upside over his last 27 games, you know, he missed the last 20 games of the season, uh, but his last 27 games, he averaged, 23 points on 46% from the field and 42% from three on 10 three-point attempts per game. Uh, Six assists in that time as well. He is like the perfect combo guard to play next to Cade, I think. like I would like somebody who's better defensively, but offensively, it's a fantastic finish you mentioned. Yeah, I, I mean, if I was them, I'd be willing to go for 100, for 110, something like that for Simons. And... Do we think Portland matches that given that they're trying to sell? Uh, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like or maybe they're not trying to sell. That's the other thing. Like they are. They, well, uh, they, I mean, they are, but they might not be, it might not be like tomorrow, but look, it might look, be tomorrow. Who knows? The, let's the, the Allen trust said to Woj, the team is not for sale right now. Um, Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Uh, if I was them, I'd be running at that 2 billion offer from Phil Knight though. That seems that seems good for a Portland Trailblazers team. Uh, number seven overall pick. Last thing on the Blazers. Who is the best player you could get for the number seven overall pick? I'm trying to think if you could get somebody better than Jeremy Grant. I think um, it's probably Jeremy Grant. It's probably it's probably Jeremy Grant. I don't think that's enough for like OG Ananobi or somebody who's younger. So Grant is the best I can think of. That's a great question. Would I trade number seven for OG Ananobi? I, I wouldn't. Oh, oh, I would trade seven for Ananobi. I wouldn't trade Ananobi for seven, personally. I love OG Ananobi. I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you on all those things. Yeah, I, I really like Ananobi as well. He's on a well, great deal. So I'll only mention this briefly. Like there, This came up with Nate when we were doing Dunked On for some preview, and I'm like, how Toronto resolves their front court situation? Because like, I don't think they're good. I think they're going to resolve it by just keeping all those dudes for at least one more year. But like yeah. Siakam Barnes and OG and like you can play all of them together, but if any one of them became available, it just totally upends this entire thing. Upends the like the trade market, the trade market, yeah. the free agency market, just all this type of stuff. Cause they're all really good players. It's just, can you make it work? I think besides just going to keep them all, he'd be completely justified in doing so, but just noting yeah. it. No, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, okay. The last one. 
the last one we're doing today. The Utah Jazz. Oh boy. Uh, what, what, what did the Jazz do? What, what did the Jazz do? Because I don't know. I, I love Rudy Gobert. I think that Rudy Gobert, he was my defensive player of the year. I think that there are a number of reasons why he has become, and I don't, I don't personally care about underrated, underappreciated that much because it's an immaterial distinction. But I think that his brand is a little bit worse now than it should be. Even so, Rudy Gobert, including a player option, owed $167.7 million over the next four years. That's about $42 million a year. If a team thinks that they're willing to pay him that, then you, you try to make a move there. And I, I think that there, I don't know the full deal with Rudy and Donovan Mitchell or anything like that. I'm, I can't judge on that because I don't know enough. But and Gobert is a heliocentric defender. He is what makes their defense work. So you're if you're doing that, you might be making your team worse. But I already talked about you'd rather be the team that makes the move a little bit too early than too late. And if Utah makes that move too late, they might be in a real difficult spot. So I would do it. See what you can go go in a different route, and it might end up being it probably would be that the Jazz are worse for it, but. Unless the offers are just so horrible, I would try to make that move now. Would you try and move Donovan Mitchell as well? Not right now. I, I think that Mitchell, okay. you want it. I mean, he has, so this coming year, then two more fully guaranteed years, then a player option. Mitchell has not grown the way that I hoped, and he grew a lot better than I hoped in the early years. Like, I, you know, the idea that he is now, like, to be clearly behind Devin Booker in the like shooting guard, young shooting guard power rankings, but he's still young. He's still good. And so it's the opposite of the Gobert thing. So with Gobert, I said, unless the offers are terrible, I would, I would move him with Mitchell. Unless the offers are ludicrously strong, I would keep him. The problem that I'm struggling with, with Utah is just, I don't know how you move Rudy and stay competitive, you, right? You you could stay like, I mean, the question is how competitive are they now? Like, are, so if the goal is to be a team that makes the conference finals, I don't think the Jazz are there right now anyway. So are you crying over milk that has already been spilled? And if the goal is to make the playoffs to be a first round exit, they can probably get there with a, worse go bear or even just being i mean they were the number one offense in the league this year like you could be the number one offense and still be a and be a mediocre defense and still be relevant if that's what ownership is willing to do but they'd be worse for what, sure what is the deal that makes sense i i have for rudy this is i i have one that i've been kind of thinking about i've been thinking about charlotte a lot and yeah. um that could in potentially involve the triumphant return of Gordon Hayward as, as salary ballast. They could also theoretically do it involving Terry Rozier, who I actually really like the Terry Rozier Donovan Mitchell fit. Um, if they, if the Hornets were willing to go in that direction. So you do that and then probably, you know, so that those, that's the primary salary. If you can get book Knight Jones or Thor in that deal. And then, or actually I would really love Jalen McDaniels. I think McDaniels would be a really nice fit with the jazz. So you do that kind of stuff. I mean, they have 13 and 15, if you can get a pick there, but 
honestly, the biggest thing is just kind of a reorganization would be that the Hornets are my favorite for that reason. If you're Atlanta, are you willing to do Clint Capella and DeAndre Hunter for Rudy Gobert? Hunter's about to get properly paid or at least close to it because he's extension eligible. I think Gobert is meaningfully better than Clint Capella. And you need, so the the reason that Gobert is valuable for the Hawks is you can't run a switching system with Trey Young. Like, so, so you're going to be looking for a Gobert type. I like Kung Wu, but I, in like, so I don't think, I think Hunter is going to be a good pro. I don't think he's going to be like a top five wing at either position, like which, however we're defining it. Yeah. So if that's the cost, I think as the Hawks, I would do it. And I think as the jazz, I would do it. That one makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. It, it it adds defensive versatility, length, and athleticism to a jazz wing core that desperately needs it. It significantly upgrades Atlanta's defense, which, I mean, good Lord, that defense just needs some help. Uh, if there's a point guard that can really actualize Rudy, I mean, good Lord, is it Trey Young? Hmm. Like, just yeah. throwing constant lobs, constantly probing the defense, like... It's going to open up the court for both of them at such a high level. If I was both of those teams, I really think that's the that's the thing that makes it work. It keeps Utah relatively competitive, and it keeps and it puts Atlanta into a different space. I guess is what I would say. Mm-hmm. It's reasonable. Yeah, um, and like I don't know if you need to add or subtract from either side of that. Like, I almost think that that just like works on some level is a core. Um, like I, I just, I, I would do that. Uh, let, let's say that Utah does not move Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell, because that seems like a real potential outcome here to me. How do you build around those two and try to make it work? Uh, given what we've seen so far. It's hard because what they need are wings and there aren't that many available. And the Jazz do not have a lot of flexibility when it comes to assets or financial. You know, like they're over the tax right now. So they're they're tax pyramid level. Maybe it's like bring back Daniel House and hope that Daniel House can be better or something like that. It's 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 tough. Like and that's a part of why I would consider a go bear move is that it's hard to do it. Maybe you you talk to teams about Conley and Clarkson and Bogdanovich and the answer is if any if anybody gives you a stronger offer than you expect, then maybe you take it. But I don't expect the market to be robust for any of those guys, which is part of why two of those three contracts I disagreed with at the time. And so that that's you know yeah. it's 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 that sort of risk. Yeah, what I'm struggling with a little bit with them is I just don't even know how to properly assess the value of Jordan Clarkson or of like Boyan Bogdanovich, right? Like to me, Boyan is the one that like you could actually move. Boyan is still pretty good at basketball and Jordan Clarkson is good at basketball too, but Jordan has his limitations. Boyan's just bigger. And I think that you can sell yourself on him being a part of like high level playoff lineups uh, regularly. I wonder if you could move him for like a more defensive version of Boyan somehow. I just don't know who that guy is, I guess. Is it, it's a challenge. About. And how much are you sacrificing offensively to bring in somebody who is who is ideally a better defender than Royce O'Neal, but is not going to is going to duplicate Royce O'Neal? So like this is why I was opposed to the Jazz bringing in Jeremy Grant at the deadline. It's just like, yeah, OK, Grant is better, but how much better? 
versus what it's going to take to get him. Yeah, and then the Jazz also don't have draft picks this year. Realistically, like they're young guys that they've kind of missed on them, I feel like. Like Yudoka Azubuke got hurt this year, obviously, but I thought that was a wild pick in the first round. Mm -hmm. Uh Jared Butler, you know, is you know, he was he was, you know, an injury concern, let's say, coming into his pre-draft year. And I don't know how many teams will jump at the possibility of getting him. Uh, they traded for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. That that was the thing that they fucked up, I felt like, was not moving the Ingles contract for something that could help them defensively in the playoffs this year. I wonder how different the conversation is regarding them if they had not like prioritized going to get Nikhil Alexander Walker, who might not be good at basketball. It's a fair point. Like it, it feels like that was a tangible, weird choice. I don't know. Do you have anything else on Utah? It just feels like a, such a strange, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I guess they're gonna, I opinion. feel like they're going to do something and it's going to, it's going to shock me, but I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. I'm wide. That one's wide open. And the thing about Utah is it completely has a chance to like upend the off season too. Like mm -hmm. it's such a, it's such a critical chess piece of the rest of the NBA's off season. What does Utah do? They're one of the teams that could like legitimately tangibly change the course of the off season. Like if Donovan Mitchell, for whatever reason would go in there and ask out, um, I don't know what Utah would do in that case. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not expecting him to do that by the way. Yeah. Like I'm not. No, and, and if I were Utah, I would say, give us one more year and then we'll, I mean, cause he's not even close to free agency. And yeah. if he makes a real stink, then you, you listen, but you, you see, you're not going to do an offer that just like makes you a lot worse. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Okay. Danny, have you seen any good movies recently before we let you go here? Uh, yeah. I mean, so I saw Top Gun Maverick in theaters. It was delightful. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, um, and then so I good. saw, um, oh God, I'm going to get the full name wrong. The, the new Nick Cage movie. Um, unburnable weight of massive talent and that was delightful as well so i still I have not say, seen it yet uh, I need you're to. gonna love it so much my friend oh my god i'm jealous i uh, I, yeah, I, desperately I, I saw, I saw it opening movie. weekend i had a gap and well, i mean that's the weird thing with my schedule during the playoffs is i have a lot of time during the day so i just went during a day and saw it it was awesome yeah like the only thing i can carve out time for right now is like top gun maverick and then i guess i will carve out time for jurassic world when it comes and then top here, gun maverick cause... again because it deserves it <laughs> it does and i still haven't been able to carve out time for a second viewing yet like i feel bad about having not been able to do that like i feel like i'm derelicting my duty to tom cruise that i have not been able to see top gun maverick again uh but i hopefully will be able to do so danny tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what's going on a lot of a lot of work to find um podcasting dunked on dunked on prime real gm radio then writing at the athletic and then Nate and I are doing a cool thing. So we're only doing it because we're going to the Warriors home games in the finals, but for the Celtics home games, three, four, six, if necessary, we're doing on this thing on playback. And so what you do with playback, um, I'll tweet, you'll see my tweets on this. You, it's a single screen experience, kind of like the league pass broadcast that Nate and I do where you log in with your streaming or cable provider, and then it will basically match all the level, all of the stuff. So the audio and video will be our audio, but you can also listen to the game broadcast if you want some of that too. And you'll see the game. So you see the game, you hear us talking, there's no syncing or anything. It's done all for you. So you can check oh, that amazing. out. And then, and then of course I'll be doing off season work as soon as there's off season to work. Oh my God. I'm so excited for the off season. Like I'm excited for the playoffs and I'm excited for the finals here. 
I'm just so fascinated by this upcoming offseason. I'm a front office junkie like you are at the end of the day. So uh, you can go to The Athletic. I'm planning on doing a top 100 update this week. I think I'm going to have time to do it, but I'm still like really working through the draft guide. I've written like 65,000 words so far and have, you know, 35,000 words to go or whatever it is. So I have a long ways to go here, uh, given that it's supposed to come out uh, in a week and a half now. Uh, So I will hopefully be able to get that done and you guys will have it out for your consumption at some point relatively soon. But until next time, we will have this beautiful podcast up on your feeds multiple times per week. You will also have scouting reports from Matt Penny and I diving deep into each first round prospect in the 2022 NBA draft. Go to the YouTube page. Those are all YouTube exclusives. Uh, go subscribe to the YouTube page, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini. Uh, until next time, though, we will talk soon. Music.